Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to yet another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm here again with Yusip Roy. What's up? Hey, Toby, I am having my first cup of coffee. So please be gentle with me with any future questions. Top of mind for me, I think I've mentioned this, but I bought a set of cameras. So these are remote monitoring cameras that do not require wiring. So they have a built in battery. And I have a few of those on the building side of the house that I'm building. The main reason really is to see progress. So I can easily in the morning, I can open up the camera feed and I can see if anything is happening that I should perhaps know more about. Or if I see there's 15 people gathered around the, the, the house or, or already what's, what's of the house, I know that I should perhaps drive there to ask what's happening. Should I know something or should I do something? So the advertisement of the cameras is that once you charge them, and you plug them in and install and configure them that they're weather sealed, which holds true even here in Finland, but also that the battery life is about one year. And it's been two months now, and two of the cameras are down to 20% charge left. So they start complaining at around that time and, and sort of intermittently not connecting anymore. So I drive to the piece of land, I remove the cameras, they're, they're quite high, so I need to do a bit of climbing. I remove them, I charge them, it takes about eight, eight hours to charge them. I reconnect and now they're working again. So I was curious to why they are eating so much battery, because it's not that cold outside. And I've got a consultant, a trusted advisor that's helping me out with the whole project of building the house. And he casually said last week, hey, the cameras, they're so great. I wake up in the morning at seven. I, I turn on the feed. It's open for nine hours every day. I'm just watching <laughs> that on the side. And I go like, have you been do doing this for long? Yeah, since day one, I got access to the cameras. So two months now. So I realized, okay, so perhaps it's one year if you just quickly peek at it. But if, if it's your mainstream of the day, then yeah, it's about two months. But I, I, I'm not complaining though, because now that they're charged, I know I need to charge them every two months. But at least I have somebody who's casually watching the feed nine hours a day. So nothing really to complain about. Yeah, that sounds good. I've got the same setup of cams around my house and I, I really like them. You know, especially I got them because the cordless, the wireless, you don't need, you just charge them and put them wherever you need them. And then they sit there for whatever time until you need to charge. I've been having mine only for about three weeks, I believe. And they have 96% battery left. So I, I think they're going to hold for a long time. So it's pretty cool. So on my side, a couple years ago, I spent some time building two spare time projects. And I think I've mentioned some of those in the past. And this was uh, during my first parental leave with the kid who's now four years old. So around about two, uh, four years ago. And when the kid was asleep, I spent some time building some, uh, some of these projects. And they've been running in the cloud ever since. So I've not touched them for almost three years at least. 
And they're processing now about 700 million events per month in Azure Functions and Container Instances. And they were running you know, an early version of .NET Core. The only thing I've done over the years is upgrading to the latest incarnation of .NET Core. What I did now was I upgraded all the projects to .NET 6. So .NET 6, when you're tuning into this, we are recording this early October, so it's still in preview. So depending on when you listen to this, it might be out of preview. As of right now, the migration from whatever version of .NET Core I was on to .NET 6 was pretty much seamless. It's a config change in the file, rebuilding, uh, upgrading some dependencies and new gits that perhaps may or may not be fully working. Upgrading the Azure functions, super easy, because if you try .NET 5, you know that it requires this isolated process. It kind of forces you into that new hosting model in Azure functions. With .NET 6, it allows the in-process model. So you can just change in your project settings to say, I want to use .NET 6. And then when you publish it, you just use the like the SIP deployment and that's it. You can define in Azure that this is going to run runtime.NET 6 and that's it. So now it's been up and running for about two weeks and I can already see hundreds of millions of items being processed exactly the same way as before. All the dependencies I have right now have been verified. So the project migration from early .NET Core to the latest .NET Core and now to .NET 6, super seamless. This took less than two hours to upgrade all the projects and kind of migrate, if you will, the pipelines to target the correct version of .NET 6 and also creating then the, the new apps in Azure where I want to run the preview edition or .NET 6 in my Azure functions and web apps. So that was pretty cool. And I'm mentioning this because I know a lot of people I spoke with, they tried .NET 5, and that was a bit of a hurdle, especially with Azure Functions. So just a tip of the day, but also that's what I've been up to. So I thought I'd combine those two. Um, if you move to .NET 6, it's going to be a lot easier than if you moved Azure Functions, for example, to .NET 5. But, and there's always a but. Moving forward from now, Azure Functions will require the isolated process. So .NET 7 onwards, will, I believe, require the isolated process. You still have to think about that new process if you go Azure Functions. But right now, if you just want to get on the latest.NET, you can do that with minimal impact. And that's pretty cool. Sitting here listening to isolated process and in-process model, it's reminding me of an IIS server with the application pool settings and the <laughs> XML files. And yeah, I don't want to go back to that time. So today, this is episode 102. Where do you store your application config data? So app config data, application config data, perhaps we've sort of defined that first. What would you say, let's say you have a junior developer come to your team and they've never developed anything. So they're really junior. Uh, what would you, how, how would you define what's application configuration data? I would probably try to take a step back and, and say anything that, so your application, that's a, a kind of a box running some kind of software. That software might connect to a system. It might host to data. Your application is not data, right? So anything that is data or anything that is uh, connecting you to that data should go into some kind of configuration space, not in the application. So the application itself is the business logic. It's What's going to happen when you click the button? What is it going to look like? And things like that. The application configuration, on the other hand, 
that is the, the thing or the glue that connects your application to this cloud or to that provider or to this web app or to that storage account or SQL server, whatever it is. And so anytime you need to connect to an external data store, anytime you need to collect secrets or connect to secrets, if you have sensitive data, things like that, you can set log levels. And I think an easy example is if you start a hello world project for ASP.NET development, for example, as a C-sharp developer, uh, in all the examples, you can see that you know you have ASP.NET logging, you have a log level. You can say uh, info, debug, warning, or error, depending on what kind of info you want to get back from the logs. These things are configuration values. So you would put them in some kind of configuration store. Most notably, coming back to ASP.NET or web applications, you have an app config or some kind of configuration JSON file. Then you put it in there and you have like a key value pair of configurations. I guess that's the kind of high level, how I would explain it to someone who hasn't been, you know, who doesn't understand what options you have in Azure specifically. But as a developer, you build your code. That code now needs to interact with something which it has no idea about, like a SQL server somewhere. And the application doesn't need to know about that. But wherever you deploy the application, it needs to get that configuration from somewhere. So that's kind of the glue, I would say. That's that's very well put. I'm sort of thinking what was the first instance that I, I saw an app configuration file or some sort of a approach to defining these. And, and obviously, and I think many in the audience can can still rem remember config.sys and autoexec.bat. That would have in MS-DOS, they would have these initial settings for you. How do we configure something we are about to run next? So, so today, what I typically see in app configuration data, it's connection strings, typically with a lot of parameters on how do we do authentication and what sort of identity would we like to use and, and what's the database server or where's the data file. But then occasionally I see certificates or thumbprints for some sort of certificates, server and other resource names, perhaps there's something in this endpoint, please ping that accordingly. Uh, but what I see less nowadays is usernames and passwords, especially passwords in, in clear text. So now thinking about Azure, and we still have the need to store application configuration data, what would be sort of the easiest way? Because in, in, in my mind, I'm constantly getting web.config, and this is from the old ASP.NET times. Do we still use that though? We do use that. Um, and I, I have a lot of ideas and opinions around this. Uh, we do use the config file still. Uh, we use it today also for our production stuff. When it comes to anything that is non-critical, non-sensitive and like general configuration, we can put it in there. Like a, an endpoint for I don't know, an authentication endpoint that you know will basically never change. Like the uh, one of the official endpoints for Microsoft uh, identity or something where you know that your app will always use this endpoint. You can plug that in there and your production environment will pick that up. Uh, but if that does change, you can always override it. So if you host this as an app service, for example, in Azure, you have app settings. And app settings is reading essentially uh, overriding the values you have in web config. So if you have a value um, or a key value pair, for example, called log level in app settings uh, or in your, your config file, then if you define the same 
key in app settings, it's going to override whatever is in the file. So even if you deploy that file to production, if you then change in app settings, which you can do from the Azure CLI, from the portal, using PowerShell, using REST, whatever you want. Uh, if you then change it in the app settings in Azure, that's going to have precedence. So whatever you put there will override what's in the file. Uh, so there's still a place for the file, especially for developers. Coming back to what you said, if you're a new developer, you're getting started, you just hit F5 on your local machine. Your local machine still needs to understand what it's going to do when it runs. And usually when you hit F5, you don't deploy to the cloud. You just run localhost on your dev box. And to do that, you require us, you know, a minimal set of configuration parameters. Sometimes it's super basic. Sometimes it requires more, which we'll probably get into a little bit later. But still, when you hit F5, something needs to happen. Usually you get the config file to, to play that role. But if you then publish this to Azure, even if you only debug on Azure and you run a dev environment on Azure, you can then really use the, the app settings up there. And I, I really like that. And most of the time we use app settings to you know, store anything that is used across all the instances of our web apps, because sometimes we have multiple instances of a web app, but again, non-sensitive data. So, and I think this is the perhaps the recurring theme for all of the things we're going to talk about, or all the things that come to my mind anyway, never ever put sensitive data certificates, thumbprints, um, client IDs, or client secrets, rather, passwords, uh, authentication tokens, anything like that. Never put that in any normal configuration store. Always use a secure store, a secure vault, which I guess we'll also mention, like Azure Key Vaults. So web config does play a role. App settings in, for example, function apps and, and web apps, super important. We use it all the time. And a common flag here is like, what is the runtime environment? Is it development or is it production, for example? If it's development, you might get some additional features and you have perhaps turned on additional exception messages on the screen. So if you hit an exception in the browser, you'll see all the traces and, and the call stacks. Whereas if it's set to production, none of that will appear because, of course, that is a, also an entry point for uh, malicious actors to figure out sensitive data about your app. So definitely have, still have a place. I, I think I, I perhaps did develop some some sort of uh, fear against web config with the SharePoint times. This was 10 years ago with on-prem SharePoint, because at the time it had this built-in uh, capability, if you will, where you would configure the runtime as, as you'd like through the uh, admin portal. And then it would configure the web.config XML file for you, but it would replicate that in the database. At least that's how I recall it today. And then if you if you opened the XML file, the web.config manually, you sort of were not in sync with whatever you had in the database already. And I think for many coming to Azure from a productivity background like SharePoint, we sort of grew to avoid modifying web config. And then of course the app config for anything else than a web application you would typically use. The, the app settings that you mentioned, perhaps in a web app, uh, I, I really like that, but I also feel that for anybody coming to the cloud initially, the web app settings was really the place where you would store your connection strings, your passwords, your secrets, because there's this nice capability in Azure Portal that when you open the web app settings, it's not revealing any of, any, any of the values in clear text, but then when you click it, it will show it for you. So you get this false sense of security that everything is hidden, everything is secure, unless you click here and then it's all clear text. 
So you mentioned Key Vault, and, and we've discussed that all the way back in episode one. I think we spent a bit of time on Key Vault. And since then, we did revisit on Key Vault already. So by now, we all know that Key Vault is great for secrets, meaning certificates, keys, secrets in general, whatever you like. But would you use Key Vault for storing, how, how would you say it, for storing non-secrets? such as what's the logging level of my application? Would you still use the web app settings if you're talking about a web app, or would you use Key Vault? Very valid question. And this depends because I'm, I am doing that in production workloads, but I'm also doing other things. So I would take a step back here and mention that what I see are two different types of configuration stores, if you will. One is the web config file or app settings that we just mentioned. The other one is a more distributed configuration store. And there you have Key Vault, which can have secrets and sensitive data, and something called Azure App Configuration, which I think we'll also talk a little bit about. So these are more distributed. And by distributed, I mean that you can set that up as a service. Then you put whatever config values you need in there in a single place. And then you have all your apps. If you have five function apps, if you have 10 web apps, doesn't matter. If they need to read the same kind of information or configuration data, you can do that from some kind of distributed configuration store. Otherwise, if you have three app services, you would have to go to each and every one of them and copy the values in so they are using the same values. And then what happens when you need to update? Well, you have to go to all three of them and update the values. That's not ideal. And it might be workable for three instances or for three apps. But in reality, I'm operating a lot more than three apps. There's no way I can be productive and update this in every instance that I have. Imagine you have 600 instances of something or 600 apps and you need to update the configuration values across them. It doesn't work very well in a microservices architecture. So a distributed config store is super cool. And we did talk a lot about Key Vaults because it does offer you this kind of distributed model where you have one service and all the apps connect to it securely to get uh, access and data. And to answer the question more precisely, you asked, uh, would you store anything other than sensitive data in a Key Vault? Yes, I would. And there's multiple reasons for that, but I, there's also some gotchas because I, I don't just read the textbook in that case. I work a lot with Key Vaults and there's a lot of gotchas. One of the main thing you need to think about when working with Key Vault is the throttling and that this is one of the services in a microservices architecture uh, that is, how would you say it? It's most prone to getting throttled. So if you have microservices, like I mentioned in one of my personal projects, I have 700 million items or events being processed. If every request would go back to the Key Vault and say, hey, I need a secret, it wouldn't work because a Key Vault cannot handle that type of load. So you have to either catch it or distribute your Key Vaults or you know, plan your architecture around that. Um, coming back to the question, I, I do have also in production workloads, um, things like log level in a key vault. And the reason I have that is because in my microservices architecture, whenever I need to troubleshoot something, I want to set everything to debug, for example. And instead of going to um, you know each and every single instances of them, I can just do this in the key vault. Um, and then you might ask, but you, you mentioned Azure app configuration services. We'll talk about that in a minute. That also has that capability, um, which we're going to talk about, but that has even more. But for the simple scenarios, key value, if I already have key vaults, if I already have everything implemented, and I'm using managed identities, never any access keys to the key vault, so no service principle, only role-based access control with a user or system assigned managed identity, 
Uh, so there's no passwords to access it, only the serverless or the passwordless approach. If I already have this set up, another value for configuration makes perfect sense to me. If it's not a value that you need to read a lot. So if you need to read it a lot, you need to think about throttling and the limitations of the service. And that's kind of where Azure App Configuration also comes into play. So the, the short answer to the question, would I put non-sensitive data into Key Vault? Uh, yes. <laughs> that's, that's the short answer. <laughs> Alrighty. So so you mentioned the Azure App Configuration, and I've, I've played around with that a bit, but I at the same time, I admit I'm not using that for any production workloads at the moment. It sort of sneaked up on me when I realized perhaps last year, oh, there's a service like this. Perhaps I should start using this. And it's not overly complex in the sense that it's it's an it's a service that allows you to centrally manage your app settings and something called feature flags. So compared to Key Vault, Key Vault obviously you store secrets and whatnot in there, but also non-secrets. But Azure App Configuration, a separate service, allows you to store any sort of configuration data for your applications. How how would you say somebody approaching this should start using app configuration? Is it for having everything in there, connection strings and usernames and passwords, or would you divide this more like Key Vault would be for this, more sensitive bits, and everything else, the log levels, the, the temp, temp file locations, everything else would be in app configuration? Yeah. So... If you ever ask me to do a security review of your Azure, for example, which I'm doing for some companies, I would never, ever accept sensitive data in a configuration store. And that goes for Azure app configuration as well. You do not put credentials in here. You do not put secrets, uh, tokens, API keys, passwords, anything like that at all. You put config values that are non-sensitive, which means that if you would leak them or if your app would throw an exception and throw everything it has in the cache on the screen or whatever, there should be no secrets in there. What I like about this is it's centrally managed. So you have a kind of a centralized management of all the configuration across your environments. And that's kind of what I mentioned with the single app config or configuration versus a distributed one. So this would be a distributed config store in that sense. You can have this set up as a service in Azure, and then all your function apps and your container instances, your Kubernetes clusters, whatever you want, all of them can connect to this one instance of uh, app configuration services. Um, you can also have multiple ones, of course, uh, depending on, on a lot of variables. What I really like about it is you can put labels on it. So you can tag your key values with specific labels and you can kind of enhance the experience and to use the same keys for multiple applications with different values. So that means if you have a dev QA production, or if you have another setup of apps, maybe you have one web application that is running the same code, but you have three different sites. So it's going to require all the same config parameters, but maybe perhaps two or three of the config parameters needs to be different. Then you can use labels for that and say that this is config parameter one, label one, or label A, config parameter one, label B and label C and whatever you, however you need to label them. And then the code, uh, if you do this by C-sharp, for example, you can pick that out and you can say, all right, now I know that I'm this site or I'm that site. And that's pretty convenient. Whereas if you did that in a key vault, the entire key would have to be changed, like site one, key, 
uh, name, for example, and you would have to distinguish it in a different way. So I, I really like that. You have configuration comparison, which is also a feature that I like. So enable to uh, compare various values of the same key and other things that you need to verify easily. So this is kind of a, a visual aid as well that I really like. But coming back to talking about security and sensitive data, there's also the aspect of how to connect to the app configuration. So even if you don't have sensitive data in there, you still don't want to treat it as something you can just give to anyone. So you need to connect to it and authenticate to it securely. So it does have built-in support for Azure Managed Identities. So the web apps and functions and whatever applications you have can access these key value configurations without specifying any credentials in your code or in any other config. So the only thing you have to specify is the endpoint. So you don't have to specify the connection string, including a username and password. You only have to specify, this is the endpoint. This is where my app config service lives. And then using managed identity, you actually get access to it using role-based access control and things like this. So these are some super cool features I like with it. And no, I would never put any sensitive data in there. There's another thing that I that I think came after my initial dabble with it that came a bit later, which is also something I see people use, and that's kind of feature flags. So you can enable and disable things spontaneously if you want. So if you're developing, developing a preview feature, you can dynamically enable or disable that, which is kind of cool as, as well. And I think you toggle these like any other feature flag, like either it's on or it's off, it's enabled or disabled. And I really like that. Other than that, not much to think about in the design process, I would say. So the, the train of thought should always be, do I need to have a distributed config store or not? If not, you only have one function app. Okay, cool. You don't need that. Do you have sensitive data? You have username, password, token, API key, anything that is a sensitive type of configuration? Yes. Go to Key Vault period. There's no two ways around that. Any type of sensitive data, go into Key Vault. That's it. Key Vault is super cheap. So put it there, connect to it, put the sensitive data in there. If not, but you still need to have a distributed configuration, then use Azure App Configuration. So I, I would always start with, do you expect today or in the future to have this as a distributed application where multiple apps or instances of your app or multiple services of your app need to kind of connect to the same configuration and pull it out, then Key Vault and Azure App Configurations are two of your best options, I would say, in Azure. If you use another type of service like AKS, application applications running on Kubernetes clusters that are managed in Azure, then maybe you can use different types of configurations uh, inside of Kubernetes, inside of the cluster, and that's cool. Uh, but if you use something that is distributed, Usually for our distributed apps, we have a mix of container instances, which is the Azure container instances running Docker images. We have Azure functions, we have web apps, we have some worker images or worker jobs running in the background, but all of these share one thing. And that is that they are running uh, towards the same goal for the same application. In order to do that successfully, they need to use the same configuration values for a lot of things. So that's what we rely on, on Key Vault for a lot of it. And in the distributed scenarios, then Azure App Configuration fits in really well. So that's, I would say from the top of my head, these are the thoughts I have around it. And I think we could spend several hours just talking about the pros and cons of a Key Vault versus Azure App Configuration versus the other more local types of config. I don't think that makes sense for, for this episode, but I don't know, do you see any other places other than these or any other type of configuration store you would need? 
I'm really anxious now to try more on Azure app configuration myself, and and I sort of foresee that 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 would fit nicely with with anything I need to run in Azure, except for any legacy or custom apps that run within a VM, because often those running in a virtual machine they have their own custom configuration things stored within the VM, and. And depending on the on the software, obviously, you cannot introduce any of those values externally, but you sometimes somehow have to manage those individually. On the Azure app configuration, I did look up the cost, the pricing for it. So there's a free tier, which is free. And then there's a standard tier, which is $36 a month, it's per day, uh, bill, bill, bill per, per day, but $36 per month. The first 200,000 requests are free on the standard tier, an additional 10,000 requests is six cents. I wasn't sure what's the difference between free and standard. So free, you only get one per subscription. And you get 10 megs of storage. With standard, you get one gig. And then there's additional things like uh, customer managed keys only work in standard, not the free one. But I still think that the free is is pretty great, but I would immediately upgrade to standard just to have my own own encryption keys and get a little bit more storage in in that sense. But beyond this, uh, we in in essence, we have four options plus plus anything you can find in a virtual machine usually. I, I think we've sort of exhausted our options and, and now we are at least are more clear on where can we store our application configuration data when working in Azure. Uh, one last thing, the unexpected question. I think it's your turn to ask me. Yep, I've got a fun question. So brace yourself. If you could wedgie any historical figure, which one would you pick? This is a tough one. <laughs> I've I've been thinking about this, not this specific question, but if I could revisit a historical figure, and, and perhaps slap them on the cheek or or some somehow uh, relay my my greetings from the future, I don't know who the person would be. So this is my primary choice, but I I do have a person as well. So the primary choice would be, if you recall, in 1984 we had a home computer from a company called Apricot. And the computer's name was, was Apricot F1. It was this huge machine with, with a screen that could mostly just do green color. So it, it, it was green and black. And I think this was the first real computer we had in my childhood home after the Commodore 64. And I, I recall truly hating the keyboard because it was so so different than anything else you could use at the time. So if I would know who was the CEO of, of that company then, that would be my primary choice. But my secondary choice, and this is a real person, is a person called Ryan Lee. Let me check if he has a last name as well. Ryan Sinkyu Lee. He's the co-creator of the Baby Shark song. <laughs> so I would yep. I would visit him and and I'm 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 a little bit with mixed feelings here. Initially, when the song became a viral hit, 
So my kids were listening to that. Everybody was listening to that. It was sort of catchy and fun. Then after six months, you start hating it. And now you sort of don't hear it that often, but you feel that, well, it, it wasn't that bad. But at the same time, I know that I wouldn't like that to become a hit anymore. So Ryan Lee, I, I think he was the uh, the founder of Pink Fong, which was the company behind this uh, different animated series, and Baby Shark was one of those. Wow. Um, good choice. I am also being indoctrinated by my daughter into Baby Shark, Peppa Pig, and other things that I did not yeah. know existed. Nor did I know that I could develop such a hate for listening to them. <laughs> Indeed. And it wouldn't be a problem if you heard it once per day. But if you hear it on the repeat 20 times when you're prepping dinner, then you go, okay, none of this. Let's let's do something else. Yeah. Alrighty, this was fun as always. Thank you for tuning in. And, and hopefully uh, we'll hear you next week as well. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.